is found in Luke chapter 12. If you would turn there with me in your Bibles, Luke chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available. Raise your hand. They'll bring a Bible to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. Let's all stand then in respect to the reading of God's holy word, Luke chapter 12. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after they have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that hour what you ought to say. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with the treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart, there will your heart be also. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whose master will set over his household to give him their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his, fat, whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they, they will demand the more. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it would already were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you but rather division. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. 
he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourself what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. May God help give us understanding this portion of scripture that we read before you this morning, and also the portion of text that will be preached from today. Let's take a moment to bow in prayer, and after prayer we'll have a choir come for one song before the message for our messenger today, Brian C. Kenner. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your blessings, your provisions, your grace, and your mercy that we see on a daily basis. You've kept us this week. We thank you for the services we had last week with the Resurrection Sunday and our children and those who were in attendance for that service. And we just thank you for uh, allowing your word to go out. We thank you for today. We pray your blessing on Brian as he presents your word that you would speak through him and use him. We thank you for your calling him to ministry. We thank you for his commitment and dedication to prepare for that work by learning your word and being diligent at studying your word. And now we pray, Lord, as he preaches your word, that you would give him uh, grace, that you would speak through him, and that you would communicate to us through his words the message that you would have us to hear and maybe communicate it in such a way that we take heed and we listen and we give attention to uh, by doing the things that you tell us to do in your word and and by committing to the things you have us you would have us to commit to in your word and we thank you now uh, for this service we thank you for your people here we pray your blessing on each and every family each individual lord we we pray lord that you would help us enable us to be faithful in serving you and enable us to grow that we might grow as individuals that we might grow as a church if you might add to this group of believers those who have been touched by the gospel those who the gospel has impacted and changed their lives that you would bring them to become members here so that this army of soldiers can carry out your gospel to a world that needs to know of Jesus Christ. Give us that. Bless us with growth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated.
praise his name. Glorify your name. Let's pray before we go through his word. Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would glorify your name and how we go through your scripture today, Lord. Help us to be filled with your Holy Spirit, Lord, so that we can give a good picture of the knowledge and wisdom that you have in your word. Pray that you just bless us, Lord, as we battle against the evils of this world, Lord. Help us to be successful, Lord. Help us to fight a battle of victory. In your name we pray, amen. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. And I know what you're thinking. you like, you know, the Bucks play at noon. And I was happy when I heard Brian C. was finna preach because he might preach a short sermon. And then he had to pick 59 verses. But uh, we'll get through it. I promise that. So Luke chapter 12. Luke is the only book of the Bible that we might be able to say was written by a Gentile. You look through different evidence of scripture and you can kind of paint a picture that Luke was not a Jew. Luke was written to be a historical account that grew faith in Jesus. Luke took a lot of time researching the events that happened because he wasn't there. He took a scientific approach, but God still inspired his scientific approach because Luke was all about growing people's faith in Jesus. And when we get into chapter 12, you start to see where Jesus was in the meat of his ministry. When he was in the middle of a big old battle with the Pharisees, when his ministry seemed to be thriving, and he took a little bit of time while he was battling with the Pharisees to address the three ills of human religion. And that's what chapter 12 is all about. It's about the three ills of human religion. And Jesus has the cure. And so the first ill he talks about is the ill of hypocrisy. He kind of gives us a hint that he's going to talk about that when you look at verse 1. And he says, so many thousands had gathered together that they were trampling one another. In other words, there was lots of crowds. People couldn't even get close enough to Jesus without running over each other. And normally when you have that many crowds, you know, a lot of people say, hey, thanks for coming out. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus saw all those crowds, and then he did a private lesson for his disciples. And he began to say his, to his disciples, first, Jesus, in his own way, rejected the crowd. Because the first ill, and we'll talk about the ills, but I also want to talk about the lure. Why do we fall for this? The lure of popularity. Jesus was telling him to resist the lure of popularity. And he starts off with this. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. 
And we might say to ourselves, what leaven of Pharisees? But when he talks about leaven, he's talking about the teaching of the Pharisees. And when you talk about the teaching of the Pharisees, Luke explains exactly what that is. There's a story, and then there's Jesus' rebuke of it. The story about it is in Luke chapter 13, only a page over. It says in Luke 13, 10, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, woman, are, you are free from this disability. And he laid hands on her. And immediately she, made, she was made straight and she glorified God. Praise God, right? Not the Pharisee. But the ruler of the synagogue, and didn't it because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? In other words, you don't got no issue taking care of your own stuff. But somebody come in on a Sabbath day and want to be healed from an illness they had for 18 years and you got an issue with that. And Luke 11, right before our passage, verse 37, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to come dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. The Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe, mint, and rue, and every herb. In other words, you tithe the littlest bit. Somebody give you a piece of green, and you say, ooh, I'm going to cut that to ten. But you neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Now they tried to stop Jesus because he was in a room full of Pharisees. One of the lawyers answered him, teacher, and saying these things, you insult us also. He said, let me be more specific. Woe to you too. <laughs> For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you. And he keeps going on and on. But when we talk about the religion of the Pharisees, what we talk about is outer shine, inner rot. Law keepers and principle breakers. They can keep the law. There's a lot of people like that, right? Keep the law, but they break the principle of the law. They love the public displays. They love to put heavy burdens on the people and don't do a thing to help them. They help themselves, but not others. It kind of reminds me of Sunday morning Christians. Religious talk, saying amen and hallelujah and praise God for you. And then you go home and you live like everybody else. In other words, we can call it a religion of the fear of man. A religion of hypocrisy. A quote, a hypocrite despises those who he deceives. 
but he has no respect for himself. He will make a dupe of himself too if he could. That's hypocrisy. People always say, there's hypocrites in church. And another pastor said, stop worrying about if there's hypocrites in church and go home and look at the mirror and make sure you're not adding one more to the number. Hypocrisy is a present danger to those of us who espouse the things of God. And the reason that he discussed the religion of the Pharisees is because that's always a danger to the people of God. It's always a danger to be a hypocrite. It's always a danger to talk good and be little. It's always a danger to come to church dressed up and go home and be cussing. And Jesus addresses this danger because it's easy for us. We all put on acts. We all seen people arguing. Boy, you ain't nothing. Blah, 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 blah. Hello? <laughs> we easily put on a mask. <laughs> we got to ask ourselves, is our religion for today or for eternity? Jesus said this, therefore, whatever you said in the dark will be heard in the light. In other words, there will come a time where what do is done in secret will be made known. So are you living for that time you can get away with the secret or are you worried about the time when it will be made known? See, that's true for both good and bad. Because those of us who pray, those of us who read God's word, those of us who tithe, we will be blessed even if nobody sees what we're doing. But those of us who hide our works, those of us who come to church dressed up and go to lives that's messed up, those of us, you know, some people live their Christian life like they living in a dirty house, and when they hear about people coming over, they hurry up and clean it up. In other words, they just stuff everything in the closet. And the closet be bursting. And they just hope that nobody taps that closet because the littlest tap and that thing will explode. Then as soon as everybody go, you can make the mess as big as you want to because they ain't going to see it. But you got to live in that mess. He says in verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more they can do. It's funny when he says that because he reduces the, our worst fear to only. All they can do is kill you. But he says, don't worry about man who can only kill. Worry about God who can kill and send to hell. God has no restrictions. And what we learn from this and what Jesus is trying to teach us is this. We have a limited capacity for fear. In other words, we can only be afraid of so many things. If you are afraid of man, you leave no place for the fear of God. And if you were to fear God, you leave no place for the fear of man. You can only fear one. So which will you fear?
in that same pack of verses, he says, yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. What is he trying to say? God cares about you. But then we got to ask ourselves, why did he just talk about God sending people to hell? And then the next verse, he talked about God caring about you. Is there a connection between the two? And there is. Because God's care doesn't matter if God doesn't have the power to do what he said. It don't matter if you care about me and you can't do a thing for me. I really care about you, brother. I will give you all the money in the world, but I'm in debt. <laughs> Thank you. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says we have a God who can determine the path of the soul. And now you ask him for help. There's no limit to what he can do. Who are we going to fear, God or man? It's all about a question of allegiances. Who are you going to choose? If you fear man, then you can't acknowledge Jesus before man because you'll get made fun of. But Jesus says, if you fear men, so you don't acknowledge Jesus before men, Jesus gonna, when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to say, I don't know you. He's not going to acknowledge you before the angels in heaven. And Jesus says, if you face the audience of man and say, I love Jesus, and you endure their mockery, when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to say, yeah, he's mine. And you got to ask yourself, what's more important to you? Looking good today or looking good in heaven? It's the fear of audiences. How do we fight that fear of audiences? We know people are always looking at us. We know that people are willing to make fun of us. What do we do? But he says this. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you. These are connected. He first says this. You can say what you want to about me, and I'll forgive you. But you can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. What does he mean by that? What he means this. When God does a clear act that you know that that's God, and you turn and know that that's God and still deny it, that can't be forgiven. That can't be forgiven. Jesus says the same thing when he was casting out demons. They said, you cast out demons by demons. He said, hold up a second. Don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Because you know there's no way I can cast out and defeat demons without the power of God. Therefore, you knowing that for you to pretend that that's evil for your advantage, you're doing something that's unforgivable. You are telling the good work of God and saying that it's evil with the knowledge that it is, in fact, the hand of God. That cannot be forgiven. That 
speaks to the destiny of the soul. It declares your calling. If you don't fear man, right? If you don't distort the acts of God towards evil, you say, God, I trust you first. Don't be afraid when you get in front of men because the Holy Spirit will give you what you should say at that moment. Reject the fear of man. Reject the religion of hypocrisy and have faith in God. Fear God first and there will be no place for the fear of man. That's the cure for the first ill of human religion. Then we get into the second ill of human religion. In verse 13, we see an interruption. I always ask myself, if I had a chance to meet Jesus in the flesh, what would I say? What would you say? Jesus, what did the seven thunders say in Revelations? I probably, I probably would ask that. I might ask about something that happened or why, you know, different questions that I have about the Bible. How, how did David have all these wives and still be called a man of God's after God's own heart? I'd ask something like that. Something hard that Jesus would answer for me that I could be set at peace. And so, you know, just like this man who came and said, Jesus, give me my inheritance. What? Would you waste the time, Jesus' time to ask that? You got one chance, man. To ask Jesus one question, and that's what he decided to ask. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. <laughs> you got to remind me, you know, people on the news who say something super crazy, and then they become a meme on Facebook or, or YouTube or something. They had one chance to be on the news. And they made a fool of themselves. This guy had one chance to talk to Jesus. And what did he say? He didn't ask anything good. Jesus, give me my money. <laughs> and a lot of, if you look into it really deeply, like, I mean, I'm talking about if you really piece together what happens here, you can kind of get the picture of what this guy is asking for. This guy is most likely the oldest son. And he was inherited something from his dad, and he was trying to get his other brother to relinquish his part of the inheritance so he can get all of it. And so he's telling Jesus, hey, tell my brother to let it go so I can have it all. And the reason he would ask this is because he feels if Jesus is the Messiah and the king, he can decide things like that, right? Right, I'm here in the crowd with you, Jesus, and where's the other brother? Nowhere to be seen. So therefore, give it all to me. But Jesus says something very interesting. He says, man, who made me a judge? And that's an odd answer because we say to ourselves, Jesus is the judge of all the earth. So he must be meaning something maybe we're not completely getting, right? But what Jesus is saying is, dude, I didn't come here for that. Look, he would start with man, right? This is not a, a kind, it's not a sir. He say, man, 
And that's how I read it. Man, who made me a judge? I didn't come here for this foolishness. To settle matters between you and your brother so you can get a little bit more? This man had an opportunity to ask Jesus for anything. But he neglected all the spiritual things he could have asked for and asked for money. And Jesus had to turn around and say, hold up. I got to do a sermon on this now. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now I'm thinking about, you know, one of my favorite rappers. He said, money, cars, and women of ill, ill repute is all a brother knows. And some people live like that, don't they? And that's the way of the world. If you want to judge how successful somebody is, you know, I'm thinking of another man. If I'm looking at another man, how much money does he got? What does this girl look like? What does he drive? Right? And then how, when, I remember we used to have our friends, and they're like, oh, you know, this guy is cool. And then he come, and then, you know, his girlfriend come around the corner. He's like, hey, he ain't that cool. Because <laughs> you would judge him based on that, wouldn't you? <laughs> but Jesus says, life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And what he means by that is all the scorecards by which the world judges themselves he rejects. And then he goes through a parable. And this rich dude has so much, he's going to tear down his warehouses and build a bigger warehouse. And God, you know, was very polite to him and said, fool. <laughs> and that's God's quotation from Jesus. Fool, this night you're going to die. So what good are you doing, you? And Jesus says, this is the same for anybody who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Because all that effort he was doing was wasted. He didn't get to enjoy the fruit of his labor. So why did he do all that work? Because if you read the parable closely, this dude was perplexed about what he was going to do next. You could tell he literally sat at his table and wrote up lots of plans and wrote down alternatives of how he was going to spend his money. And then he finally came to the answer, build a new warehouse. And then he was going to initiate plans and he got an engineer and he got new builders and all this stuff lined up. And then that night he died. And what good did all his planning do him? And we can laugh, but you know, the end of the matter is, a lot of people live like that. A lot of people save up, and they live for all their retirement. And they retire, and they die in three months. What good did your retirement do you? A lot of these people, they living for the next girl they're going to be with. And you look at their paycheck, and they got order after order of child support. What good did all your fun do you? Football players committing suicide. 
rock stars, had all the women in the world and they committing suicide. Both Prince and Michael Jackson overdosed. What good did all your success do you, man? Lots of people go tonight dreaming and they dream about being Michael Jackson and Prince. And then look at how they die. And, you know, I talked to my brother. He always said, man, you don't want to see somebody who die over overdose. But I think maybe we should look at the faces of people who die in an overdose. Because we want to glamorize that lifestyle. But maybe we should see what it really is. How does it end up? And that's the state of anybody who starts to work and not, is not rich towards God. Because when God comes, you're always caught by surprise. Two quotes. Mark Twain said, There is no such thing as material covetousness. All covetousness is spiritual. Any so-called material thing you want is merely a symbol. You want it not for itself, but because it will content your spirit for the moment. Another man said, covetousness is always attended with loneliness and anxiety. It's no wonder that the very next phrase Jesus said is, don't be anxious about your life. If you covet, you will be anxious. So he therefore says, don't be anxious. For three reasons. First off, because life is more than the things you can get. He says your body is more about food and more about clothes. The second thing is anxiety doesn't get you nowhere. He says, which one of you by worrying could add one hour to your life? So why? In fact, science has proven that worrying takes hours off your life. And the third thing is, why do you worry when God will provide? If God gives food for the sparrows, if God gives clothes to the grass, do you really think that God will not provide for you? So then he says, do not seek these things, but seek first the kingdom of God. Don't seek this because the whole world chases after that and God already know you need that. But seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Seek God first. He will add the things that's necessary. Verse 32, he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants to give us good things. He wants to bless us. But while we sit there chasing after these things, we are running away from his will, and oftentimes we run ourselves into problems where we can't get the things that we need. Another quote, one who does not know what is enough will never have enough. Another quote, if money be not thy servant, it will be thy master. A pastor said, if we are to say no to covetousness, we must learn to say yes to contentment. That's why Jesus says, give it away. That's what he said. Look at verse 33. 
sell your possessions and give to the needy. Because we often think to ourselves that riches relate to happiness. If I had a hundred more dollars, I'd be a hundred dollars worth more happy. But Jesus says, riches are like a fire. And I can give another illustration. Riches are like nuclear power. You don't want to be too close to that. I'm not saying it's not useful. Because without nuclear power, we wouldn't have a lot of the things we got today. But nuclear power without lead walls in front of it will kill you. And so will riches. We live too often thinking that we need things that we don't need. Covetousness blurs the line between need and want. You start to think you need stuff that you want. I need these clothes. I need this video game. I was thinking about myself. I gave my sons an old video game. And after that, I had to get them some games. And after that, the controllers wasn't working that good, so I had to get them some new controllers. And after that, I'm going to probably need some new accessories. And you know what? They're going to get tired of playing that game, so now I'm going to get them another new game. And that system is kind of old, so maybe I should get them a new system. And if I get a new system, I'm going to need new controllers. And new controllers, I'm going to need new games. And it never ends. It never ends. Jesus would be like, sell that system. <laughs> I ain't there yet. <laughs> but you can see why he says to sell it. Because we hold that danger so close to our heart. Jesus says, give it away. The last section he says, we talk about the lure of wealth. That was the last section. The, the, the third ill is presumption, the lure of assuming. And there's a few things that we assume. The first thing we assume is that the master will return when we know he's going to return. The second thing we can assume is that since he hasn't returned, things will continue the way they are. The third thing we can assume is that Jesus came to make life easier for us. Fourth thing we can do is we can assume that life will continue as it is, therefore missing the signs that this age is coming to an end. We can assume, he says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Be ready because the first illustration he gives is a master going out to a party and coming back. Who will be blessed? The servants who are ready when he returns. The servants who's waiting to open the door for him. The servants who already got the table ready. The servants who didn't cook the food, but got the food ready to be cooked as soon as he walked in the door. He says those servants will be treated like guests. The master will come in and serve them. But then he gives another illustration. He said, but be, take heed. If the master knew when the thief would break in, he wouldn't have left his house. I think of that all the time. I'm, I had stuff stolen from me a few times. And I always think, man, if I would have been there. But that's what Jesus is talking about. Don't have this regret of, if I knew, I would have done this. Be ready. So Peter asked a good question. He said, Lord, and basically what his question is is this. 
Lord, you telling us to be ready. Are you meaning that for those of us who's already faithful? Or are you meaning that for those who ain't even saved? And Jesus says, I mean it for everybody. If you want to be faithful, you got to be ready. And to the degree that you're ready, even if you are saved, you will receive a reward or a punishment. In the passage, we can read it and laugh at it, but it's actually kind of scary. Because he talks about people getting beatings who are servants. And what he basically is saying is, even those of us who serve God will face discipline, depending on how we use the things that he's given us. He talked about a severe beating. He said, well, you know, the one that didn't know what the master was talking about and, and didn't do it is going to receive a light beating. I'm like, whoa. So ignorance is not an excuse. And then he says this passage, and we often quote the first part, but not the end, because I think the end might be discouraging to us. He says, everyone to whom much is given, much is required. But from him to whom they entrusted much, they would demand the more. In other words, God is a God that wants growth. If you grow, he's going to say, good, now grow again. Do it again. We often come to church and treat it as if we are a volunteer organization. That just showing up is enough. And God is holding us to account. He's got our annual review written up. And we treat work serious because we got the annual review not realizing the annual review written in heaven doesn't miss anything. Unlike your boss who when your boss takes vacation, you might be able to get away with some stuff. God never takes vacation. Your boss might not know why you did A, Y, and Z, but God knows our thoughts. And he holds us to account. So he says, I came to cast fire on the earth. We think of little baby Jesus. There is no baby Jesus. There is Prince Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. In this passage, he's looking forward to his death. He says, man, I'm going to die. But do you think I came to give peace? No, I didn't come to bring peace. Because when I save, there's going to be a war between the saved and the unsaved. It's going to rip families apart. So he says, right after that, and, uh, and what he's saying in that is, don't assume that this Christian walk is going to be easy because people you think should have your back will not. One of the first lessons that you learn when you get saved is that you all of a sudden realize people hated you who never hated you before. Whoa, I didn't know these people never liked me. You will always make enemies as you stand on godly principles. And then the last thing he says is, look at the time. Look at the time. When you look at the age around you, don't you see that it's starting to come to an end? Can't you see with the increase of divorce, the rise of gay marriage, the number of stories of molestation of children, the hate of the things of God. We had a judge who almost lost his election simply because he had a Christian school. And he said, well, you know, you got to follow the Bible if you want to be in this school. Somebody said, well, you can't be gay in that school? Oh, get this guy off the ballot. 
He almost lost his election because of that. Thank God he won. But the thing about it is, he almost lost. And what that tells you is we close to open persecution. We're not quite there, but we close. Look at the age we live in and see the evil of the age. And then the last part, he says, why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle now. In other words, the prosecution has already begun. Settle with God now before he bring and throw the books at you. Now, I bring all this passion to say this. We as Christians have to resist the lures of hypocrisy, covetousness, and presumption. These are the common enemies of religion. These are the common foundations of any ungodly religion. Throughout this passage, Jesus is teaching us that the cure to all these things is putting him first. Remembering that he came to die. Remember that he will return. If you think about it, this whole passage is about the fact that I'm coming back. So make sure things are in order. I'm coming back, so don't be a hypocrite because I will call you to account for what you're doing. I'm coming back. So don't amass all this money because you will die and see me. And that money not going to do anything for you in heaven. I'm coming back. So don't assume that things are going to stay the way they are. I will judge the world. This passage gives us an inside view of God. Look at verse 6. Jesus starts to lift the curtains of what's going on in heaven. He says, not one of these sparrows is forgotten by God. Verse 8, he says, everyone who acknowledged me before men, the son of man also acknowledged for the angels of God. Verse 9. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Verse 10. The one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. In other words, he's telling us things that we wouldn't know if we didn't have the Prince of Heaven telling us these things. He's given us the secrets to what's going on. But throughout the passage, we see this. With him revealing these secrets from heaven, he says, don't fear. Don't be anxious. He says that nine different times throughout this passage. Don't fear. Don't be anxious. Verse 4, verse 5, verse 7, verse 11, 22, 25, 26, 29, and 32. All those verses he says either don't fear or don't be anxious. Don't be worried. The last thing. He says is, give your money away. That's a hard one. Wasn't well, that what he said to the rich young ruler? The guy came to him, he said, God, I did everything in this in the Bible. What you want me to do next? He said, man, it's only one last thing you need to do to be saved. Give all your money away. I think in the U.S., we too rich to serve God. I really believe that. We are too rich to serve God. We're thinking too often about the next step up the economic ladder to think about how to grow the church properly. We're thinking about the fact that we could buy an HDTV instead of the fact that if we tithe, our church will be more healthy. We're thinking about the fact that our kids could get another toy instead of about the fact that our pastor need to be paid. We got to focus on what God thinks first. 
Let everything else go its own way. That's the cure for bad religion. And that's Jesus' religion. That's what we need to follow, amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Jesus is teaching us, Lord. He wants us to follow him. He wants us to fight. Lord, you want us to fight against hypocrisy. You want us to fight against covetousness. You want us to fight against assuming that things will be the way they are, that you are not coming back. Help us to keep in mind, Lord, that you are holding, writing down accounts of what we're doing here. Nothing we're doing is secret. So help us to live a life as if everything is done before you because it is. Help us to be honest with ourselves and our brothers and sisters. Help us to value things the way you value them. In your name we pray. Amen.